Welcome to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. Today, the guest is myself. I'm going to focus this episode on recruitment. For those that don't know, I've got 25 years recruitment experience, a bit of a backstory. Started out at S3 in 1998 as a resourcer, very quickly became the UK top bidder for computer futures, placing project program management candidates into local government authorities, um, billing about five or six hundred grand a year, then went my way up and became the worldwide top bidder for S3 across four and a half thousand consultants across 20 countries and 60 offices, was billing eight or nine hundred thousand pounds a year consistently, then became a manager, director, team leader and kind of built teams. And in a five year cycle, got that to 15 million pounds in revenue. Love that business. Great training ground. Left there, set my own business in 2003, got that to nearly 100 people, three offices in Bristol, London and Manchester, 14 industry awards, three Virgin Fast Track 100 awards in a row, three three-star best company awards in a row. So very proud of um, those profitability and growth achievements, but also the achievements for how we built the culture as well. Um, in a nine-year cycle, that business was turning over £25 million on an annual basis. Uh, we sold that through private equity, uh, which is a great training ground for me, uh, learning the whys and wherefores of how to get a business fit for sale. And believe me, it's a process. And if I can offer some advice on that element, it would be to plan ahead. You may well think that you won't be even contemplating selling or part selling or exiting for three, five, seven, 10, 15 years. But um, it's good to sort of set the foundations in place as early as possible on that. Uh, took some time out. Now I'm a non-exec director to numerous businesses. I've helped over 35 recruitment businesses in the last few years. Scale. Some of the things that I do um, are starting with vision, mission and values. A lot of business owners, recruitment business owners come to me and say they've got five heads, they want to go to 50, they've got 10 heads, they want to go to 100, they've got 1 million, they want to go to 20 million. And that's all well and good. And the, one of the first questions I ask them is why? Why do you want to do that? Why is that number important to you? More often than not, it's a number they've kind of plucked out the sky that they feel would would change their life. But actually, I, I tend to delve a lot deeper and understand the mindset and the purpose of why they want to do that. And more often than not, it's not necessarily money. It's time with their family. But we work towards uh, drawing up a three to five year, very clear vision that's got the mission statement in there. It's got an organogram in there. It's got a, a structured plan, a market map and a real clear definition as to where we are now as a business where we're going to get to and how we're going to get there. Once we've kind of done that, um, there's things like understanding the leadership team. So the CEO, the MD, more often than not, they're great at two or three things and not very good at other stuff. I mean, I've fallen into that category as well. Very quickly, I understood what my strengths and weaknesses are. And that's a real key factor in, in the growth of the business. More often than not, the CEO can be in their own way, if you like. So it's it's I, I work with the leadership team and offer my opinion around where they should be pointing their energy and their arrows, giving them three to five key objectives each, the CEO, the, the sub team underneath them, and understanding the strengths and areas of areas of focus and um, aligning the objectives to the individuals and then plugging the gaps either with other people in the business or identifying new people externally. Um, we, when we do things like an operational dashboard, so strategically, do we want to grow our average fee? Do we want to have more perm business? Do we want to cross-fertilize permanent contract? Do we want to have a key account strategy? You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's a leadership development program I do. Things like career development plans are really, really important. You know, making sure that the, the 
we've got a three to five year plan as a business that we can articulate that will then enable us to attract more people in the right way. So we've got an onboarding program, we've got career development, we've got a vision, we've got a mission, we've got training, we've got, we've got everything in place. But the team leaders, the senior consultants, the, the even the associate directors, they need to have their own domain, their own plan, something to strive for for themselves. So each person's kind of working towards a common goal for the business, but also for themselves. So everyone's on the train. And then we look at things like business development, account management, candidate acquisition, things like day plans, week plans, marketing strategies, um, the whole caboodle really. So, you know, I've chaired many, many, many big, big board meetings with many, many PLCs and big companies and, you know, some very big players. And, you know, I've also, I consistently hold training courses around how to spec candidates in. So you kind of like, I'm multifaceted in that regard. Um, I love, I love the nitty gritty of recruitment as well. I still keep my hand in. I still, I still place uh, candidates myself as well, which I think is really, really important. So I think, um, it's important to understand that yes, it's important to focus on how we are transacting our revenue, where we get our money from. You know, are we getting repeat business? What are fees looking like? But also having a, an overall strategy as well. So market mapping is, is really important. Adding new contacts to the database, making making sure that we're we're speaking to the right people with the right candidates. More often than not, um, many businesses they they're, they're great at extolling the virtues of their um, extolling the virtues of their business, but not actually talking about candidates. If you walk as a, as a sort of terse example, if you walk into a car showroom and the car salesman talks to or person talks to you about how great the showroom is, but doesn't talk to you about car, you're not going to buy the car. It's it, it's it's very very much about as many candidates as possible to as many right hiring managers as possible, not blindly mouthshotting CVs. Although I do believe in mouthshots, um, and it's also not it's not not just about CVs, but the whole archetypal let's make a hundred calls or let's speak to as many managers as possible yes there's an element of that but if you've got a good candidate in hand a great consultant knows exactly where to put that person and it's picking up the phone it's doing different aspects of of, of getting that candidate in front of as many people as possible solving problems understanding what the client problem is anyway as we all know recruitment has many many facets and it's like walking down a long corridor there's so many doors you have to close to make sure that a deal doesn't fall out. One of the aspects I want to talk about today in this podcast is client control and candidate control. So many businesses that I've worked with, they're very good, well, they think they are, qualifying um, a JD or a job spec. So they'll take 45 minutes, an hour on the phone, the consultant will put the phone down and go, great, I know exactly what the client wants looking for this person, I know what the culture's like, and yeah, we can definitely find, put the phone down, then they'll go away and spend two, three, four days formulating a, a, an approach to go and find some candidates, they speak to loads of candidates, you know, four or five days later, they then send three or four profiles over to the client, and the client may take a days to come back, and then the client might decide to pick one or two, and then you go back to the candidate and book the interview, go back to the client, it's about, you know, five, six, seven stage process. Under no circumstances is that acceptable, particularly in this market. We need to leverage ourselves and our mindset and go into the whole conversations. When we're on the phone to the client, it's about thank you, Mr. or Mrs. Client, for this, 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 this role. It's a wonderful role. We've got a lot of confidence we can deliver this for you as part of our standard level agreement or service levels 
what I'm going to do now is send you an email with a JD on it. And please feel free to tweak or enhance the JD in case I've missed anything. Uh, there's going to be a schedule of when you're going to first interview, when you're going to second interview, when you're going to offer, and when you're going to pay. If you can come back to me, send that email back to me, we'll get working on it straight away for you. And then shut up. The client should go for that. You want to be in a position where you are deciding which candidates are going to be interviewing and, and, and ideally when, because ultimately you're the expert. What you don't do, you don't go to somebody and then allow your customer to decide which candidate they, 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 they want to interview because you're, you're the expert. That's, that's the trick. That's one of the tricks. And if, if, if the client doesn't go for that, book in a CV review meeting. So you ha actually have a conversation. So you don't want a client ruling out a candidate based on a bit of paper. The CV is almost irrelevant. You know, when, when you're sending the CVs over there, attach a video uh, about the candidate or, or, or do, do these extra things that are going to enable you to keep, keep the control. Um, and that's, that's one aspect, right? So that's on the, the client side. But if you've got five people, 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, if, if I went into your business and said, right, consultant A, you've got that job, you've got that job on now. Well done. Congratulations. What's the first thing you do? Oh, I, I, I put an advert on. Okay. Consultant B, what's the first thing you do? Well, I go check the job boards. Consultant C, what do you do? Oh, I, I go, go to a hot list. Consultant D, what do you do? Oh, I go to the database. So you've got four or five different, what you want to do is be in a position where we don't want everybody doing exactly the same thing, but in essence, sometimes you do. You want a framework to go right. Get your team in a huddle as a training course, get a whiteboard, get a pen. What do you do first? And work out a process and a structure around making sure that everyone's leaving no stone unturned. Because what you'll find is that some consultants will be great at Boolean searches and some won't, or some won't even write adverts and you're missing this, there's gaps. And on the Boolean searches as well, when was the last time you conducted any form of analysis around the quality of the Boolean searches? You know, team leaders come to me all the time and say, oh, I can't get John or Mary or Gary or to, to perform. I'm doing all the stuff. And you're sitting next to them, right? Yeah, you know, I sit opposite them. I, you know, I'm, I'm helping them with their phone calls. When was the last time you sat next to them? Get your chair, move around, sit next to them and observe. Not, not in a big brother way, just at home sitting and just, just to observe. I've done that so many times. And, and the amount of stuff you pick up by, like, oh, you do a billion searches like that. Oh, you store your CDs there, do you? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, so, oh, you code your candidates like that. And actually understanding what their process is. Get tight. You get tight. So it's about control. It's about controlling the process, controlling the candidates controlling the client and leave, leaving no stone unturned. It's, it's, it's so important that um, in this particular market, you know, I'd sooner work on three clients that I've got signed up with either exclusive terms or, or schedule, like I just described, than working on a contingent basis where, you know, a lot of my clients, they're getting, to, they're getting to offer stage, right? And the client's pulling out or, or, you know, they're sending candidates over, oh, there's a budget freeze, or we want to wait till March because there's a, there's skepticism about the market. So another thing that happens is a lot, a lot is happening is we're talking about control. And I think it's, it's, a, it's like a dial. Sometimes I, I'm, um, promoting control from the outset, but there's times in the process where you want to step away. What I mean by that is I call it marrying, marrying the process up. A lot of deals fall out of bed because a consultant will want to control the process post an offer. 
what I mean by that is that um, when the, if and when a candidate drops out after an offer, it's mainly because either the, the, the consultant hasn't kept in touch with the client or the candidate, or the candidate's done a bit of a ghosting thing after the offer they got, they got uh, had a counter offer. What you need to put in place is that uh, ideally when the offer is made, make it with you, the client and the consultant and the candidate together. So you're all, all, all parties are involved. Uh, rather than trying to keep the control yourself or just with the client. But I would insist after three to five days after the offer has been accepted, um, the client and the candidate arranges either a dinner, a lunch, a get together or a phone call where they have to sort of just check in with each other. So Mr. Client, what you, what you think that, um, Mary, uh, Mary has accepted the role. She's starting in, 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 in three months, but uh, on Wednesday or Thursday, um, I've scheduled a, you to give you a, a call just to walk through the onboarding induction. And every two weeks or every four weeks or every six weeks, you two need to just, just to keep speaking, just to, to make sure that the, because there's, there's a long time between now and how's that, you know, that, that kind of stuff where the, the candidate is much less likely to, to renege on the deal if, they, if they're dealing directly with the, with the client at that point. You don't need to be involved as much. I think it's a real fine line around keeping your hand in, making sure you're there. But the more conversations that those these parties are having, the more meetings they're having post the offer, in between them starting, the more the less likely. Again, trying to mitigate any problems or or lack of response from clients or candidates. The difference between and even even when you're trying to business development, the difference between leaving a voice note or a voicemail is huge. And who listens to voicemails any anymore? I I, I don't. I, I've probably got over two or 300 unanswered text messages. I don't text, I haven't texted anyone for about three years. Um, I always try to leave a voice note. Uh, I, I always try to do that on WhatsApp as well, because you've got the blue tick. You can see when someone's reading uh, your, 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 your messages. Um, when you're doing a pitch, um, you know, instead of an email, pick up the phone, leave a voice note, do a video, um, with with the with the interviews um with with your client when you're, every time you're speaking with the client um instead of it being a phone call or an email a lot of a lot of people are hiding behind email email is becoming old hat now a little bit yes it has its purposes of course it does but trying to interact with your clients and your candidates via video call as much as possible see the whites of their eyes see their body language you know um yes there, there's there's obviously times when the client and the candidate can't do that but you know, with the advent of, you know, work from anywhere, work from home, um, the chance of that person being in the office is, is, is remote anyway. Um, schedule calls in, just, just go that extra mile around. You know, I can't get, I can't get through to that person. It, it's things like when we're often when we're business developing as well, we, we think, Oh, this is the man I want to, or the woman I want to speak to. They're not there or they're, they're not hiring. And you go on to the next customer. Ask other questions, get an organogram. More often than not, the answers and, and, and the gold are with the existing clients. So one of the other things I do around building out a business development plan, it doesn't start necessarily with new customers. If I was to ask the question, recruitment business A, how many companies do you have on your database? Oh, 10,000. How many contacts do you have? Over 18,000. Do you think that's good? Yeah. Seems, well, actually, you've got so you've got one point eight, which is under two people per business. To me, that tells me that you're you're uh, you're not deep enough with your 
business development, your, your account management and your networking. But one of the first things I would do and insist on embedding this as part of the culture is that each, each person in the business has to add X number of new managers to the database from the existing client base as well as the new client base. What we want to be aiming for is a minimum of three to five managers or hiring managers or people of influence per business. Then you're getting a full picture. Then you can sell, then you can sell more of a full solution. So as, a, as an initial project, guys, what we're going to do for the next 12 weeks, each person is responsible for adding 70 to 100 new managers per, per month. We're going to go in back into our businesses, reintroduce our services, talk about our vision, our mission, and what we're all doing as a business, understand the business a bit more and build out a gold, silver, and bronze client strategy around, oh, right. So in three months time, we've gone from 18,000 to 35,000. We've got, you know, three and a half, four managers per company. Each of those individuals over the last three months have received a phone call and a CV and had a meeting request that they've had a touch point. Uh, and we've generated another 200 grand worth of business. But also, um, we've got a third of that business that we've placed one or two at. We've got a third of that business where we've placed, you know, uh, two to 10 at. We've got some key account stuff. We've also got some analysis around Although that business is, um, you know, we've got the most number of deals in that business, our job to placement ratio is really poor. So as a business, although it's deemed as a gold account, us as a business could be doing better. We're not sending enough quality CV. So the whole key account strategy is around maximizing what we do have in terms of the new managers, but also understanding not just the client spend, but what are we doing wrong or right around that? More, you know, a good client isn't necessarily one that spends you spends the most amount of money. You know, um, I would put a gold client is that we've only we've only placed ten people there, but we've only had twelve jobs on, so we, our hit rate is pretty much one to one, and we we got two CVs to to one placement ratio. Whereas client over there has spent a million quid with us, but we've got six people on the account. They've had six hundred jobs, uh, and we've only placed forty of them. So it is that kind of stuff that's going to enable you to kind of not just survive, but thrive in this kind of um, market. So before we even start looking at new customers, let's look at what we do have. You know, it's an easy, quick win. Going into a customer where you've had a, I'll do an analysis over the last two years of where you've had a CV job or placement, do an analysis, bring up the data, and then start allocating, right, there's 30 clients for you, 30 clients for you, 30 clients for you. What's your, come back to me, what's your strategy? You've got 30 clients. But actually, there's only 64 managers in that in that in that pool. Clearly, as a business, um, we need to get that to a high number. And just and and if everyone's doing that, all of a sudden, you know, when people get scared or get you know daunted by BD, this is a softer way of going. Oh, then they build their confidence and they quite like it. And then they start to get new, they start to get new um uh, new clients as well. And it goes the same with the candidates more often than not. We're so tunnel visioned and we're so focused on getting that candidate in for an interview that we don't even ask them where they're interviewing, where else they've worked. Oh, you worked at um, Xbox Limited two years ago. Was that with was that with Gary Gary James or no? It was, and then speak to that person and kind of like utilize the information and the sources around you to to leverage your your position. And I think it's about how we, how we speak to, I've talked about how we speak to our clients, but how, how we speak to our candidates around positioning, positioning yourself as an expert. 
Mr. or Mrs. Candidate, I've got your CV in front of me and it reads extremely well. Your profile is exactly the type of candidate I'm confident that I can place. What I'm going to be doing is working with you in the next three months to uh, identify some clients that are going to want to interview you. Here's three or four customers that may be of interest. Walk them through that. Tell me about the sort your 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 ideal customer. What, what what sort of clients would you like to work at? Get those names. What sort of clients would you not like to work at? And kind of build build a relationship. Or what I want you to do um, is is check in with me every every couple of weeks. Tell tell me you know what's going on with you and your world. Um, and we're going to drop a bit of a strategy. How does that sound? What you're doing there is that you're you're kind of building trust. You're kind of you're kind of saying to them, look. I'm not I'm not a magician. I'm not gonna. I haven't got you know. I haven't got roles straight away potentially. But what I'm gonna do is, is work with you. You need to work with me as well. You kind of build a relationship. So so when you do get them an interview, the candidate is more is more married to you. It's about marrying the candidate to you a bit more, taking taking away the kind of transactional nature and portraying to them the, the recruitment, the process of delivering a candidate a role that they they will happily accept isn't a question of just sending a CV and getting them an interview. There's, there's a process. Explain the process of what you're doing. Explain to them that you're, you, you're going to be um, networking. Explain to them your market, your mapping, and how you're going to do that kind of stuff. And get them to sort of, so so when they're in the interview, they're, they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're in a mindset of, you know, I don't want to let this recruiter down. So when we talk about mapping a market, it's not a question of, blindly choosing any market obviously um each recruitment consultant is different each business is different each market is different but i think it, it goes back to the type of type of job titles that you want to place matching job titles with job titles so it goes back to that kind of if you can identify three to five types of managers that you want to place with and then you know five or six different types of candidates that you want to you want to place so when you're speaking to the candidates you're understanding the types of managers that they report to and you're marrying the types of candidates with the types of clients that sounds obvious but if you can build out a list of the right directors and managers that you want to place at and the right candidates and then you marry the two so every, so if if every single week if you are just focusing on a particular job title in a particular discipline in a particular industry sector both candidate and client you'll find that you're marrying the two so I always try and urge my 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 um clients to kill two birds with one stone. So when we are speaking to candidates, try and go up the chain a little bit more. You know, what's the next level above that candidate and speak to that person as well. You know, who did you report to? You know, Mr. Candidate, in the next three to th th three to five years, where do, where do you see yourself? I see myself as a as a uh, a software architect. So then start speaking to software architects. So those type of people will take on the person below that and kind of like that's how you're going to build out kind of like segments of kind of like processes around, ah, I can, I can visualize not just placing in this particular level, I can, and discipline, but the area above, I know that. And when you're speaking to clients and candidates, you're name dropping the same industry sector, so name dropping the same buzzwords. So instead of doing a little bit of retail, a little bit of project management, a little bit of dev, no, I know people don't do that. Some people go off on tangent. It's, it's taking a step back and going, right, in the next three months, if I can speak to as many relevant people in my sector, both candidate and client, who they report to, who they would take on, but also the level above, maybe a level to the side as well, 
then I'm building out, you know, a list of 100 to 200 candidates and clients that would all want to marry each other. So to summarize, in a nutshell, try and get as much control as possible in the early part of the process. And then towards the end, marry the two parties together. Business development doesn't have to be new clients. There's a different podcast for that. And it's so important to get new clients, but look at your existing clients, as I mentioned. Look at where, look at where you've placed a job or CV or interview at as well. When you're speaking to your, your, your clients, ask who else is recruiting. Can I get an organogram? Paint me a picture of the business. Who do you report to? What other departments are there? When's the last time they hired? What about contracts? Obvious, but questions that people don't ask when you're speaking to candidates. You know, where else are they interviewing? Is there anything to stop you taking this job now? You know, do you have any colleagues? Are you, where else, where else have you worked recently, you know, recently? And just, just ask, ask those questions, but also making sure that, um, you know, when you are building out your markets, you are doing it in a structured way that you can visualize. So, right. This is where I am now. I've got how, how many placeable candidates do I have or do I know? How many do I want in three months? In what markets? If I could have 20 of them, 20 of them, and 20 of them and then with your managers if i could have 20 of them 20 of them 20 of them and you've got 120 opportunities there and it's it's about just working a little bit smart and i think sometimes it's about taking a couple of steps backwards to go 10 forward but every call that you make is an opportunity so are you asking enough questions are you maximizing the, the candidates and the clients that you do have and when you do get roles on um are you closing are you controlling and the process thereafter you know are you making sure is there a charter around well when i every time i get a new mandate in a new brief in these are the 10 things i do religiously not oh i know exactly i've got three people bosh whack them over yes that's important, but you have to make sure that you are putting the adverts on, you are doing the right Boolean searches, you are speaking to your colleagues, you are going to the database, and you're following a strict process no matter what. Thanks for listening, guys. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle, and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract, and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash chrisoconnell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.